0: mornings a week we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development so we figured why not share these moments with you. Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 77. I'm Tracy Prophet. I'm Ruth Kiaga,
1: And I'm Jay Prophet
0: and we are back to talk about more practical problems. Yes! Last (laughs) week we started and we talked about six things that you might want to try and keep in mind when you are teaching students about practical problems, which is the same as word problems, which is the same as uh, problems in context. Yeah, all those kinds of things. So we have a few more, we have 11 things. So we have five more things that we'd like to share with you and talk through. all of this is on a website that I put together for uh, teachers that I'm working with at school, and we thought it'd be worth sharing it with you. So the website will be on our on our show notes if you'd like to look it up. So are you ready to get started? I think yeah, so. I think so. I think <laughs> okay. we're set now. We We had like f- three different alarms go off uh, in our little intro recording. Okay. So number seven says, try numberless word problems or three-act tasks. So this one came from... You know, if you tell people not to do uh, keywords, which was one of our, yeah, keywords or cubes, immediately people are like, oh, well, what do I do, right? Right. Um, So these two strategies are, I guess you could probably call them routines, Um, are routines that help build operation sense. And that's the whole point. There's no, like... There's no shortcut to to learning how to solve word problems or practical problems. It, you it, the 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 real thing is that you have to build their understanding of what the operations do. And so these are two kinds of things that build the uh, what operations. What does it mean to add, subtract, multiply, and divide? You want to explain one of them, friend. So I 3x task is
2: where you are even, I mean, kind of, that's what these two have in common is that you give them just a little bit at a time. Right. And when they're just have a little bit and they really have no idea where the question's going to go, it doesn't seem as scary. But when you read the whole entire problem and then you say, what's the keyword or what are you supposed to do? You just have a small percentage of your students who know and the rest of them just sit quietly and don't want to be engaged. And so a three act task provides you an opportunity as a teacher to have everyone be engaged because you watch most of the time a video clip. Um, Sometimes it's a picture that you notice and wonder about, but most of the time it's a video clip and it's building up some kind of a problem. But the students are thinking about it before they get there. And they are allowed to notice anything. And so it's that low floor, high ceiling, because you're going to have some kids who are focused on. My favorite example is Graham Fletcher's hairy arms Mm -hmm. that the students (laughs) notice. Um, And you acknowledge that as something that they're noticing because those are sometimes things that are written into word problems that aren't necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, a man with hairy arms was making (laughs) apple cider. (laughs) And kids get focused on those or you know, I mean, there's even a strategy where teachers teach you to cross out what's not important, sure, so a three act task has you notice and wonder, and then they give you the information. So we've noticed and we've wondered and we've said what kind of mathematician what kind of question would a mathematician ask? what's something that what do you think this problem will be about? And so then act two is you give them those pieces of information
0: after they've after they've estimated about oh, the question. Correct. Yes. So you you sort of zero in on one question that you you know ahead of time but hopefully one of the students presented at, during their wonder and you estimate um what how many like if it's usually a how many questions so how many do you think it's going to be and then you give a too low guess and a too high guess. And then there's the that other step of what do you need to be able to solve that question? Like what what information are you still waiting for? And then that's when back to you. They you give them that information. Right. So once they have that information,
2: ideally you would use some of these to start a unit and they don't necessarily have an algorithm and you get all different kinds of thinking and all different kinds of figuring out. But I will say that that just sounds amazing. And recently I'm finding out that a lot of my students don't even still have the... I can I can try attitude and they don't want to even do something wrong. and so they just sit. Hmm. Um, I did a I did a practical problem with them on last week that just said Mrs. E is went on vacation with her sister and niece, and she had to go up four floors to get her niece and then down five floors to go out the lobby to go get ice cream. What floor were each of them on in the hotel? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you can't just add the four and the five, you yeah. know, you have to have some kind of a thought process or some kind of drawing to figure it out. And I just had students who didn't want to try, hmm. you know, cause they didn't want to be wrong and they would, I, I just don't get this. I don't get this. And so I was reminded that this is the beginning of the year and I haven't done the growth mindset and the baby steps. And, you know, like I haven't done a three act task, so I really need to so that they can build that confidence and not just have to jump into a problem like that. I mean, we eventually got there, but I was just kind of dumbfounded with how many students were like, I don't know.
1: I like the the first act in that a lot of times like you'll demonstrate them with our kids and that first question, they come up with stuff, just trying to be, you know, off the wall. Yeah. But every now and then they come across a question that actually makes, you know, there's, it is like in their attempt to be silly, they ask a good question or they yeah. ask something like, Hey, and that's right. And, and so I think it's, it, I like that it allows people to, you know, not feel like you already have to know the answer. They can ask all kinds of stuff and like the hairy arm stain and, you know, and that may be something that always helps them, you know, they, they laugh, they enjoy it. And then it can put them, maybe not at ease, but, but help them get into it. And it's not like you already have to know where things are going. and, And, and I like that sometimes they stumble on something real anyway.
0: Yeah.
2: Cool. And you're not, you, you know that no one else in the class knows the answer while you're trying to figure out what the question is. Right because they don't know what the, you know,
0: <laughs> like we really are. It's a level playing field.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. that's good. Um, if you've never done a three egg task, there is a huge collection of them on Graham Fletcher's website that we will link to. But there are a couple of other, um, and a couple of other people that are doing them, um, who've created a lot of elementary school ones. Um, Catherine Castillo and Kristen Acosta are two that have a good collection of elementary school
2: ones. And I may be wrong, but I think you can go to Graham Fletcher's site, and at the top it
0: says, Are You Looking for More? Yeah. And he actually has links. They're, they're right under his, his okay. Um, His spreadsheet, and I'm working on a project right now. I don't know by the time this podcast goes live if it'll be done. Hopefully, but um, I'm taking the the three act tasks from those those three sites and watching all of them. um, And it's just a lot, and then matching them to our Virginia standards because it's only so helpful for a Virginia teacher to go in there and look at the. the list, like his, his spreadsheet, because oftentimes the, the standards are in a different year and you just skip through it because it says second grade and you're in fourth grade even. And, and now I'm going back realizing, oh, this would still be helpful in, in different grade levels. And and watching them all is helping me know which ones to recommend to people later. So anyway, making this spreadsheet that will I be... I did not know about that, but I'm super excited. Yeah, That'll be, <laughs> that'll be searchable by... I know about that. <laughs> It'll be searchable by Virginia SOL. There'll be. It's kind of like that Des, Virginia Desmos um, collection where people went in and, and organized ones that teachers had made by Virginia SOL.
1: Well, now that you've said that, Tracy, you better hurry up or well, somebody's going to beat you to listen, it.
0: Listen, I only have two weeks because it, it's my project. We we did the empowered problem solving, and then we went ahead and got the the university credit through Brandman and every teacher for your when you do the university credit you have to like look at some other resources do some more research kind of thing and then you just decide on a project and the other teachers um, did a three act task as their project like really dove in and tried one and everything and not being a classroom teacher I was like what am I going to do so this was a way to help my teachers is making this searchable database so that's why i'm doing that and i've only got two weeks because it's doing two weeks so what what it'll be done hopefully by then um another so then i think we've talked about it before but just in case someone hasn't listened um to those particular episodes numberless word problems are um a, a something that's been I guess advertised. I don't know if it's created, but it's been made popular by Brian Bushart, and um, he's got a great website um, that we can we will link to. But much like this, in the same way, you you just start by presenting the very bare bones of a context, and then you talk about it, um, like you might say for your. Um, To give your example, Ruth's family went up and down the elevator. You know, you might start that way, and then you give a little bit more information and make it
1: sound like a bunch of like country (laughs) folk that don't know. We (laughs) just rode the elevator all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Boy, this ride's fun.
0: So we went, um, you know. Up and down. And, and then you add a little bit more information, a little bit more information. And, and you know, a lot of times where there are numbers in the problem, you just say some, or, you know, or a few or a lot or whatever. And then bef- at the, before you ever get to the end of presenting the entire problem that you've replaced information, students usually know what the question is going to be just because they've really understood the context and, mm-hmm. what, and what's happening. And then by the time you present the question, they're like, oh, I got this. I already solved it, you know. Um, so, if- so I think for me, the like,
2: the best part about that is they're easy to make. Yeah. So a three-act task isn't something that you can just mm-hmm. pull out and create. Mm-hmm. Like you just said someone did it for their college projects. Yeah. Right? If you're going to yeah. do it well, it takes a lot of work. But the numberless word problems, you literally can pull a word problem out of your textbook and just type it on a PowerPoint with no numbers and have a conversation as you are going through it. And I find that you can use that at any grade level. Yeah. Even when you're doing algebra and slope and, you know, slope intercept and whatever. You can just take those numbers out and really make the student think about what they're looking for. Yeah. And he's got a great blog
0: post about how he creates them, his process. Yep. Okay. So that's what to try instead is... Numberless word problems and three act tasks. That's not the whole thing. There's more, there are more, but you know, that's a a good starting point. If you're like, uh, what do I, what do I do? I can't teach without cubes.
1: Hey, I've got a a comment on the website itself. Is is that okay? For sure. Um, I think because you're trying, this is a neat thing and you're trying to like show students, you know, show the teachers step one, step two, I think because I've done this a couple of times now, when you get to the bottom of the page, there should be navigation next step da, 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 so they can jump to the next one to like number eight or number nine or whatever's okay. next. Cool. So y'all may see that in the website by the time you hear this.
0: Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if I listen to it back and like, Oh yeah, I was supposed to do that right now. Okay, cool. All right. So number eight says explore alternative algorithms. Um, so I talk about at the top of the website, some some things to know about traditional algorithms and and so let's say this is meant for fifth grade at this point the teachers are most concerned with you know larger digit multiplication and then division and so the go-to for a lot of people is the traditional u.s algorithm for both of those long division or the you know placeholder zero traditional algorithm for multiplication um and so we talk about how traditional algorithms are not the most efficient way to solve all problems that, you know, they were created. Algorithms are created because if you take the entire case of all problems in a, in a, of a certain type, it will always work and for some like for the hardest ones, it's probably most efficient. Mm-hmm. But there are times when the traditional algorithm is not the most efficient. And it, it's, you know, <laughs> those times where you see a kid do 17 minus nine and they use the subtraction algorithm of crossing out the one and putting a zero and putting a seven or 17 over top of the seven. You're like, you just had 17 minus nine, <laughs> you know. Um, so, <laughs> so so you don't want. You don't want teachers to teach in that direction that that you should always use the algorithm. So you have to you have to incorporate this idea of you got to pause and look at the problem and Mm. see if there's some way some other way or or do you need the algorithm. Um, And then the second thing being that the traditional algorithms don't really help students make sense of the operation of what's happening there's some mystifying aspects to both of those two operations i feel like the subtraction algorithm you know makes sense if you if you if you teach it but the the multiplication and division one
1: you mean like to cross out this and bring one mm-hmm. over yeah. yeah that to me makes i mean that's how i learned but in the like in the real world that doesn't make any sense to me
0: really yeah
1: like wow. the whole like having a you know, like, well, say your red and yellow flipper coins or whatever they have. I'm <laughs> sure they have a name. <laughs> Counters. Count. Yeah. yeah. And like, if I have, if I see on the table there are 43 of these things, and a set number of them are yellow, I can I can visualize removing that from the set, and now what do I have left? Like that. That visual, I can understand. That makes sense for subtraction. But learning that you have to go to the tens place, cross it out. You know take a 10, break up into a bunch of ones and move one over here. And then, I mean, to me, that doesn't help. That does not help me envision subtracting anything or removing something.
0: Huh, interesting.
1: I mean, I learned that pattern and even, you know, I used words now that are more like what you use and not what I was taught. Right. And not because at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I was just following a protocol to oh, come up with the right answer. Sad. Yeah. But you know what? I was pretty good at it. Yeah. So, you know, I I learned how to subtract pretty well and follow it without really needing to know what was going on. So
2: I've used, I know I've shared this story before, but I remember being a fifth grade teacher and being sent to an NCTM conference and learning that there's more than one way to subtract. And... Coming that home. should be the name
1: of your biography yeah <laughs> there's more than one way to subtract
2: um coming home and you know being so excited that i just showed all the ways to my fifth graders and david was in the back of my room and raised his hand and was like that is what i do missy e. and he was counting up that was the strategy he was using but then after he did the whole page he went back and did all the crossing out and borrowing oh. so that he could prove to his teacher that he had used her strategy. showed his work yeah when it wasn't his work at all it was just The work, you know? Yeah. But he could count up like no one I've ever met. Wow. So true statement.
0: It's not always the best strategy. So on the um on the page I've given some some sample alternative algorithms and Uh, I talked on this on the last episode, but my friend Holly looked at it and this is one of the places where she gave an edit. She was like, you need to emphasize that these are strategies that kids could come up with if they are given the space to invent algorithms, which I just know that teachers who haven't done a deep dive are like, there is there is no way my students are going to invent an algorithm. But the truth is that they're doing. You will see students who are doing part of this just like Mm -hmm. just like David, you know, that's what that's what you call that. Um, They're not coming up with it for the first time ever, but they're coming up with it before someone ever taught it to them, you know, and that and that comes in those opportunities to try it out. So we've got, you know, a couple for multiplication and one for division and one for subtraction that you can check out there.
1: I like the uh, partial quotients division one. Yeah. I was watching, I was looking at it, not watching the video, but just looking at the model a little while ago and, you know, I didn't have anybody tell me what to do, but I figured out how it works. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, like my brain, that to me is not, oh, that's so much easier than just long division because I was taught through long division. Yeah. But I think, but I think it's interesting to, sh- you know, to show how it works and how, how the numbers and how it can be done a different way and, and the numbers relate to each other, plus mm-hmm. the colors are pretty good too.
2: Yeah, thanks. So we just did this integer multiplication and division, and I just printed off a page so you could practice. Well one of the problems was 150 divided by 15. I was so disheartened <laughs> because so every single student went to long division hmm. and did the steps. Mm -hmm. And then didn't know what to do with the zeros Mm -hmm. and knew the answer one wasn't correct, but just kind of had no idea where to go next. And when they've got all that work in front of them, they do not want you to like, let's just think about this. Let's start over. Yeah. You know,
1: That's funny is when you said that in my head, I put the I put that problem into form for long division. And I started thinking, I was like, oh, wait. Oh, wait, like, <laughs> like I was already, I was, I was your sixth grader. I was halfway to solving it the other way before I realized. Oh wait!
0: Well, that means you have flexibility because you paused to think about it before you kept going, or and and you're working on it being most efficient. Um, I I do want to say this is not in my website, but so Trip Profit, um, was learning he's he's been playing prodigy i think maybe we've talked about it i have some you know reservations but also real reasons and <laughs> um we won't get into those now but anyway uh he got to problems on prodigy where they were doing the long division algorithm and it wasn't just divide you had to like actually put the steps of the long division algorithm which made me want to gag but i was like well you know okay let's you you want to learn it let's go for it and i i i I did everything I could to not teach it with the divide multiply subtract bring down and we we talked conceptually the whole time like how many how many we drew pictures how many hundreds can you give everybody okay now how many are leaving your pile like we used we we built we built models and then did the algorithm with those Was kind of matching what was happening with the models, and he got it. He can, he can. I don't, I don't know how long it stuck, but he, I think he can do it now. So we had this conversation.
2: I told you that my niece went home for COVID, and so long division she never learned. Yeah, because everything was optional, and her math teacher just didn't try to conquer that last spring virtually. So she's getting ready to start school where I am, and. I drew a long division problem. She's like, I don't know what that is. Oh, well, you need to know what that is. And so we did the whole thing with, I made her draw each step. And like you did, we went through the whole long division process conceptually. Mm -hmm. And she comes to my room after school and that's what she does. She writes these giant long division quotients and big divisors and then just goes through the steps. But she really likes to do it she's really flexible with her basic facts uh-huh. so how many times does 23 go into 56 is not overly hard for her but yeah it's just fun because she knows what she's doing conceptually cool. and you'll hear her say like everyone's gonna get two tens you know instead yeah. of just how many times does 23 go into 56 to where does it go she really knows why it's going there so that's great it's cool
1: I think it's funny when you were when you were teaching that to trip he would to get this whiteboard i don't know like two feet by three feet whiteboard mm-hmm. and get on the floor and with a with a whiteboard marker would do his his long division problems or like try to to, to make it to work it out for prodigy and he would hop down and I would see on the on the floor just like you know. Three feet of <laughs> of of uh, long division on the on the board that he was working out, so he could put into the yeah the program. Then
0: get on the computer and type in the holes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number nine is try a pre-assessment. Um, so basically, I put this in there because I was working with some teachers, and and they this was their suggestion that this be added in there of. Um, you know, go into it, go into the unit, knowing a little bit about what you' about what your teachers know about what your students know. I'm gonna say that pre-assessment isn't wasn't a completely all the time part of what I do it, you know in the classroom and and I'm still not sure what I fully think about it whether whether it's necessary all the time um, or if
2: it's worth the time you put in class for them yeah. to do a pre-assessment.
0: Yeah. So, uh,
1: I think it matters on whether it's a a a concept they're supposed to already know or whether a concept you're introducing. Right. If it's a concept you're introducing, then I don't know that it's going to you're going to learn enough from it, or it's going to be so far all over the place that it may not help. Now, if it's if you're trying to if you're reviewing or getting ready for something, you want to see what they should already know. I think in those cases, it is helpful.
0: So, in our building, because we have both. A gifted program where they are accelerated in math, and then we have students who who are not in a gifted program. It's like, as I talk to teachers, the two pre assessment is for two different things in mm. in those two different spaces, like. In in the for the teachers who teach in the gifted program, there is a little bit of like if you're sitting facing a room and there are three or four kids whose whose mom's already taught them or dad's already taught them the algorithms to all of these things you're getting ready to do, like you need to know that so that the kids not sitting there for three weeks while you get double digit multiplication and, and long division. You know you need to be prepared. Those
1: parents would do such a thing. <sighs> I know, right? Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, um. So so it plays that purpose of like you know you need to you need to figure out who those kids are and have a plan that's that's one purpose but then on the opposite side if you're in 5th grade getting ready to teach double digit multiplication and and you've got students this real life last year didn't understand what you know 2 times 5 was they still didn't have any operation sense for multiplication then you got to know that too you know and so whether it comes out from a traditional pre-assessment or whether it comes out from a three-act task is your pre-assessment and you watch who does the algorithm you know like no you got to know something about your students before you just jump in so that's what uh any thoughts on that pre-assessment
2: i'm just trying to like put it into context yeah (laughs) think about that in my classroom so i didn't do a pre-assessment for integers right? Because, I mean, in reality, even if your parent had taught you how to add and subtract integers, there's absolute value and there's coordinate grid and all of the things that I have to teach. And you may be, you know, one or two students. Well, I, I take that back because I did have a student who was efficient in adding and subtracting integers. And so when it came time to practice. I gave him rational numbers and he just used adding and subtracting rational numbers, fractions and decimals rather than just, Mm -hmm. you know, integers like we the rest of them did. And he he still learned some things. He just may not have learned anything as new as, you know, the other ones. And now this unit is my statistics unit. So we start with mean, median mode range and I do box and whisker and stem and leaf. There's no way they know Box and Whisker and still yeah. leave. <laughs> There's no way their parents taught them that. Fact, yeah. I don't
1: remember it from time to time when you guys talk about
2: yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you ever learned it. I think that someone like created Box and Whisker within the last 10 or 15 really? years.
1: It wasn't yeah. created that recently. I think it just wasn't taught to... It wasn't something that people that students were expected to know um, until recently.
0: I don't think it's that new. No. It wouldn't make it be on our standard if it was that new. Anyway. Anyways. Um... You made me forget something I was
1: going to say. Something more important than box and whiskers?
0: <laughs> yes. Now, stem and leaf,
1: that's not so new.
0: Right? I don't know. It's all right. Um, okay, let's move on.
1: Practice.
0: Practice. So, number 10, it says try. So,
1: practice is one of the best practices?
0: huh. Yeah. <laughs> that was like a dad joke. It that was a, like a bad dad joke right there.
1: Well, that's what I'm made of pretty <laughs> yeah. much. Uh,
0: We're doing pretty good at 6.30 in the morning. Dad jokes. Yeah. If you cut me open, that's what you'll find. <laughs> okay. It's going to bother me that I f- can't remember what I f- was going to say. But anyway. I totally have dad jokes running through my head now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I t- I retweeted one. Let's take a joke break. Hold on one second. Yeah, did you see my much. Did you see my joke from this morning? I did not. Or maybe it was last night. I don't know. Um, this is from Astro Toya on Twitter, who I think you should follow because she is awesome. Um, and she said a mathematician friend has a pet snake that's three point one four meters long. It's a python. <laughs> And she used pie in the word when she wrote it. Come on, that's awesome.
2: Okay, so this is not math-related, but my son sent me a dad joke that said, what generation is Forrest Gump? Gen
0: A. Oh, <laughs> uh, I get it. <laughs> all right, there you go. All right, Jay, all you non-dads <laughs> need to step up off the dad jokes, okay? You have one? Do you have one? No, I'm just saying. Okay. You're- yeah, we're, that's we're, my domain. We're dissing oh. you. Yeah, okay. Um, open middle problems. So, okay, better practice. Um, you know, just the point of if you if you are in the development stage of of an algorithm. So, I had, I do have to say that like some of this going into this unit, yes practical problems is the point of this unit that i was trying to prepare teachers for but there's a bit of this like they do need to know how to do the algorithm too Mm -hmm. especially because when we get to decimals they're gonna have to do the same procedures just with decimals um so there's some just gotta practice right um and we don't want to just have them do a you know a whole entire page of multiplication like a few is okay Five is plenty, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no need to do 20 of them. We don't want to do 20 double-digit multiplication (laughs) problems, you know. So there are better ways to practice. So we listed open middle problems, which we won't go into because we've talked about plenty. And you can go back and listen to those episodes. Um, But a couple of other ideas are error analysis, where you, like, show – there's all different things you can call it, like, Mm. my favorite no or – find the flub or whatever where you show someone's work either real or where you've made it up to be a common mistake from a student and have them find their mistake which is so powerful because how many times do you say you've got a mistake go back and find it and they're like I can't find my, you know I don't know but if if they practice on someone else's work I feel like that's gonna help them
2: yeah so I actually used that I've Bought a bulletin board from Teachers Pay Teachers. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That just says, mistakes are proof that you are trying. Find the mistakes. And this teacher took the time to print out so many mistakes. And so they're just hanging on my bulletin board. And the bottom three had to do with integers. And so on their assessment, they had to find the mistake, tell me what the answer should be, and what the student did wrong. Like, what was that student thinking? Mm -hmm. And For most of them, it was, I mean, it was a true showing to me of who understood. Mm -hmm. Negative five plus four equals negative nine was the mistake. And most students in all different kinds of ways were able to explain it. But then I had a couple students who were like, well, because you have positive and negative, your answer should be the opposite. So it should be nine. Well, those are the students that I'm going to go back and I know that they don't have an understanding of adding integers, mm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: not just because they didn't get the five adding integer problems on their assessment correct, but because they really don't know, know what they're doing. So mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, it was it was really good to be able to analyze like this is a test. I'm not just looking at the percentage they got, but do they really understand? Yeah, I like that.
1: I will say that your example on on the website. Yep is a an order of operations problem. Yep. And I looked through it three times looking for where they messed up the order of operations and that's not what they messed up. What? They messed up subtraction. Yeah. And I was like, but they did it right. And I went through it again. <laughs> There's nothing wrong here. And then finally I realized, oh, it was just the subtracting they messed yeah. up on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and in, of integers too, right? Yeah. Yep. Good job, Jay Profit. Thank you. Okay. Another way to practice could be would you rather. There's a great website for that. Um, but... You know, if if you are this is kind of a way to do practical problems and practice together where you're presented with two situations and you have to decide which one is better, more, longer or faster, whatever the thing the the thing may be. And both of them could be using the operation that you're working on. Um, The example that I've put there is would you rather read 12 pages every night in a chapter book with 144 pages so that would be a division problem with a two digit divisor or read 50 pages three times a week in a chapter book with 132 pages that would be a multiplication problem so this found, seemed like a good you know somewhere in fourth or fifth grade practical problem mm-hmm. kind of prop kind of application um, and then there are plenty more ways to have good practice, but the fourth that I listed is using a frayer model, which is a vocabulary strategy that didn't start out in, in math. I'm sure, I'm sure it started out in, in the reading world, but basically you have a piece of paper that you divide into f- four sections with usually like a circle or a section in the middle also. So five. And that it, when, when, when it was used for vocabulary development, you might have like the word in the middle and then there's all different ways to put things around the outside, but maybe you put the definition, maybe you Hmm. would put, um, non-examples. So like the opposite of the word or whatever, then you could put, um, a picture and then use in a sentence. So if you can, if you can take a new word and apply it in all of those ways, you're, you're getting close to understanding that word. Well, for, for a work for a operation you could do you could, you'd use those four so let's say you put the a multiplication problem in the middle you could have the one box be a practical problem like the kid would write a practical problem and they could be that could be solved with that operation um, you could show how you could round and to estimate in one box you could show a model of it in one box and then you could sh- actually solve it in the final box you like you're say something. I
2: am just thinking about how many students I have that need multiplication, understanding. So we did multiplying integers, but the only way that I assessed them was what problem is this picture of? And so I did two groups of five is 10, and three groups of negative two is negative six. And it was probably the most missed question hmm. because. They saw the two, and so two times 10 is 20. I was so disheartened that,
0: wow. They couldn't even write an, an equation for Mm-mm. two times 5 Mm-mm. Oof.
2: And then, like, the division problem to go with it? Whew, yeah. I had to change the directions on the test because I originally had, right, the, a multiplication and division, and I just had to make it say or.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I feel I've- like we need to do that.
0: You know, I Frequently. think that this could be something for your Freyer model. You could use the Freyer model as a remediation strategy for your kids who didn't get their addition, subtraction of integers. You know, put negative, put the problem that was on the board. Mm-hmm. Negative five. What did you say? Plus four. Mm-hmm. Negative five plus four. And then you would have a story. You could have solve it with counters solve it with the number line and what would your last one be just solve it <laughs> or i don't know what your last oh, box would be yeah um just solve words it. you know like something about your mistake <laughs> you know right on the test or whatever
2: i think my favorite um I say favorite because it was different. No one else wrote it. But I had a student who said negative five plus four can't be negative nine because the only way to get a bigger negative number is to add more negative. And when you add a positive, you get a smaller negative number. Mm, I mean, it's really good. wordy. Yeah. yeah.
0: But so so maybe in that case, you your last box would be what would you write to this student who made that mistake? Mm-hmm. Like write write some, right. write a hint for that student. Yeah. Um, do you have any other ways that you like to practice that you would have added to this page?
2: I not off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it's all good. Yeah, I don't have any.
0: Okay. Um. Finally, the last one, I put it last on purpose, is to is use calculators strategically. Um we spent a long time in our in my planning group of teachers talking about the fact that on our end-of-year assessment, this particular strand is assessed with a calculator and that sort of blew some people's minds. Um and that's a change since this most recent round of standards. And edits, um, but the point is really that they're learning. It it helps place the emphasis on the practical problem part of this standard and understanding the operations. And you know, think about in in real life. If when you landed yourself a job, or or let's say you're the the boss in a job, <laughs> let's go that direction. You want the kid that knows what operation they need, you know, because yeah. otherwise it's not useful.
2: But you also want the kid who's got a little bit of mental math. Like, I'm with Mike, and we are at this estate sale, and it's 25% off. And so we get up to the counter, and we have, like, three or four things that equal $12. But her very first step is to go to the calculator. And she's like, one plus six, okay, 12 times .75. (laughs) And Mike's like... It's $9, whatever the tax is on $9. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I,
0: I, yeah. I've been that person, though. When, like, someone's watching you, you don't want to <laughs> take the time to, like, have your – pull out your flexibility and your efficiency. You're just like, ah, punch, punch, punch. Yeah. So so we ended up – I ended up sort of talking about on here how, you know, um, use them at the right time. Like, don't – they're not all the time in mm-hmm. in the in the middle of this, but I also feel like there's we don't need this gatekeeping where it's like you can't solve you can't have the calculator until you can actually do it on paper. That's there's been a little bit of that before. Oh right. And and if you allow a kid to, let's say you were doing a three act task or a you know it's not the beginning it's not a beginning of the unit kind of thing, but if you were doing a three act task. And there's a kid who just isn't with you because they haven't learned the algorithm yet. That's a perfect time to pass that, you know, certain people a calculator or let it be available to everybody. And some people don't need it, but it'll, it makes things accessible to kids that weren't going to be accessible if they can't do it. I might be here preaching to the choir a little bit, but.
1: No, I don't think anybody should use a calculator.
0: (laughs) Ever. (laughs) He just doesn't like to be part of a choir. Yeah.
1: To, oh, actually, I went to college to be part of a right. choir. So <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um do do you use them ever in your class? So
2: yes. When we are doing mean, median mode range, mm-hmm. like there will be times where if you know that this is the problem where you're gonna calculate the mean, then go ahead and calculate the mean with this calculator. Yeah. Because sometimes the whole point is that you can learn what to divide by. Yeah. Right. Instead of just dividing by two or. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we hit the end of our 11 fantastical things to do or best practices <laughs> to do on practical problems. So let's do takeaways then. Hmm. So, I mean, I feel like
2: every time we podcast, I'm the one who's processing, like, how can I do this in my classroom? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) If we're going to preach it, then I have to do it. And so I'm thinking about, I mean, we're going to do practical problems for box and whisker and stem and leaf. Um, And today we're collecting data to have so that we can do practical problems for mean, median, mode and range where the students are actually looking at the data from their classes and.
0: Um, you're making me think about two years ago when I was in the classroom full time and I had college, like practicum students, you know, and they were doing the very best that they knew how to do, but, they, but they, you know, they would like plan their lesson and then I have to check it before they taught it. And it was like, this is mean, medium motor range. And then they were like, just naked numbers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If, even if you're direct instruction teaching these numbers have to mean something these have to be somebody's heights or ages or cups of something you know um, that's, a, that's a really good place where just add some kind of context to it is important mm-hmm. yeah but but how many people probably just like here's some numbers let's find that meaning right. of them for no apparent reason yeah, <laughs> yeah. alright Jay Prophet
1: I think one of the things, any any time, but specifically today, going through all these alternate ways or different ways to look at um, practical problems, anyway, practical problems, thinking about, you know, it, it often make makes me reflect on how I was taught a concept or how I learned how to do something um, and then trying to think of it through your lens. And today I started thinking about how our children have learned things and, you know, or how they are instructed at school at school, not necessarily how they learn things. And I was thinking, you know, I don't, they've had a lot of great teachers that have, you know, taught them, you know, different things at school. And I wonder if how many of these things teachers are using and how many, you know, that they're learning through these alternate methods. And, you know, some of these things I've heard, uh, whether they got them from a teacher or whether they got them from you, mm-hmm. um, and it makes me. You know, I've followed along some with what Trip is doing in math this year, and you know, seeing some interesting ways and, and new things of of, of, of introducing concepts or, or teaching math. And I think it's it is fun. Adley is in Algebra One, so I can barely keep up with what she's talking about at this point. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, it it's just it makes me think. You know what what are they receiving, and how you know are they benefiting from these. Multi other methods or other ways of doing it or are they have they learned so much by the algorithm you hmm. know like i did
0: yeah well i have a tiny little bit of i just have this little picture of something i don't have a clue if they were doing prodigy or something else but i remember hearing recently let's say it was a problem like 23 times 6 so i think it was something like that and i heard trip like start to solve it and Adley was like, Well yeah, just think about it like three times twenty and, and three times six or or six, I guess the other way around. Yeah, six times twenty. And yeah. Six times 20. And he was like, okay, mm-hmm. and he and he put the two quantities in his head and then added them up. So like they were both speaking this language of breaking apart and multiplying right. and neither one of them got a piece of paper and wrote it down. You know, so there's there's some of that there, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't I don't know all about how they got there. You know, um, but it was exciting to see her choose that strategy for him. Yeah. You know, Um, we had a conversation this weekend because
2: my son came in from D.C. And it was that conversation about. um, He said he was at his desk and somebody walked by and was like, it wasn't this number, but he said it was as easy as how many minutes are in 600 seconds. And he just said it. And she was like, I thought you were going to get a calculator for that. Mm -hmm. And he said, I had to tell her how I did it. So I had to write it down and say, come here and look at this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But he's always been a kid who did mental math. You always wanted to ask him, tell me about how you did that. Because it was never the way that you did it. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And so he's still, as an adult like helping people understand that math isn't scary, you can really manipulate numbers in your head.
0: Oh, you're a proud mom. I
2: know. He loves oh. to tell me about it too because he knows <laughs> I'm so
0: proud. So I don't really have my own takeaway. I guess this this website is something I hope you, that you will take away. There we go. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I feel like it'll be a great place that I can point people to um, as people enter into this you know, trying to teach practical problems conceptually. I guess my takeaway is for it's for people listening. If if this is new or part of it is new, you're not going to do all 11 things in one year or maybe even two or three years. You're going to say, okay, this year I'm going to get better at this and better at this and better at this. And, you know, it's a, it's a direction to head, not a must-do list of things. So just keep that in mind.
1: And I think that idea, um, that idea of not having to tackle everything at once is something that it's important to remind people yeah. because even when you say it, and even if it's written somewhere, um, you know, I, at, at work, I do a lot of training and, and helping professors, you know, get better teaching something or, or come up with new ideas or new tools to use. And, you know, on one hand, some of us say, well, I, I want to, you know, I don't know if how many people have been to a, an education con- or a technology in, an education conference. And there's these comp- these sessions, like, 147 tools to help you do this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, I, no way do I want to go and listen to 147. Well, some people are like, oh, I want all the tools. I'm like, how in the world can you, anyway, yeah. I mean, how can that be any good? But at the same time, you want to provide enough help, but but at the same time, as soon as somebody, somebody will walk out of 147 tools to help me do this. And then you give them eight ideas and like, whoa, I can't think of it. I can't mm-hmm. handle all that. Um, And, and reminding people, you know, try try one at a time maybe maybe Mm -hmm. two go into it it, and just get better in steps or or, you know get this idea understand the concepts better in steps instead of trying to wholesale change something
0: yep agreed all right friend well i don't know that i will see you tomorrow on a run um it will be fine we are gonna go swimming tonight so really fancy i
2: convinced him that that is what we should do so that since he can't run with me yeah your husband is who you're talking my about. husband yeah he's got some back issues and so in the pool is
0: good where we're gonna try it we'll have fun so i, I still need a couple of recovery days from my weekend run <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> all right i will see you sometime this week on okay run.